Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21 which you'll find on page 165 of the Old Testament section in the Red Bible in front of you, or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Deuteronomy 5, verse 1. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today, you shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long 
and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Not long ago, we had a visitor, a little active two-year-old girl. And as I, her mom and I turned around, we noticed her trying to climb on the coffee table again. And as she did so, being adventurous, she was muttering to herself, Mommy, say no, no. Mommy, say no, no. And if she caught her mom's eye while she was trying to do this, she would say, Annie, need a time out. Smart little girl. She was asking for boundaries. Do you remember that hands on stage where any boundaries that were to be set or enforced were up to you as a parent or you perhaps as a grandparent? It's a tough time. And if our only interaction with our kids was no-no from us and that two-year-old foot-stomping no in response from them, then we might all want to just throw in the blankie, forget this whole thing. But that's why God made them cute and cuddly, right? So that we help them grow up. When we look at the Ten Commandments, sometimes all we see and hear are ten stern no-nos from our divine parent. God does want to protect us from potential harm, just like that parent did. So God sets boundaries, so did this parent set boundaries. But boundaries are not all God has in mind. God is not only about setting the speed limit, 55. The Ten Commandments are laid out first in Exodus 20. So today's passage, where we heard about the Ten Commandments, is actually from Deuteronomy 5, and this comes 40 years later. We are inching ever closer to the Promised Land. In fact, in today's passages and in next week, we're right on the border, ready to cross over with the people. And the people ask Moses for teaching. He gives them the Ten Commandments again for a new generation. He recites these words of God for the people. In fact, in Hebrew, that's what they're called, the words. Not the Ten Commandments, or today, as we might refer to them, the Ten Suggestions. God provided for them again and again in the, in the Egypt, excuse me, on the road out of Egypt. God provided for them out of love. They're God's own words spoken in love. They're the key to the Israelites' new life in the promised land. And that's why Moses repeats them again. Since God's people are in covenant with God, the one that loves them, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, brought them out of being enslaved and provided for them again and again and again in the wilderness, Moses explains that the Ten Commandments are how God's people will live in grateful response to their God. I love looking at art about this. This is from St. Catherine's Monastery in Egypt, which is considered 
the place of the Ten Commandments or the burning bush, too. It commemorates that. And um, I love it how Moses is receiving the commandments right from the hand of God up there in the corner. It's sort of a happy uh, sharing and partnership. Earl Palmer, who was my pastor at University Presbyterian in Seattle, memorably taught us that the Ten Commandments are for us. They have grand positives at their heart. They're not just divine no-nos. They express the freedoms that our loving God wants to give us, wants for God's newly formed people, and still wants for God's people today. They help us to know who we are and what it means to live in relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters. Chris Hedges says, in a world where sin and stupidity so often write a great big no across our lives, the Ten Commandments are offer a grand yes. That may seem surprising to you. So how do we read them that way? Well, the Ten Commandments begin with grace. God identifies who God is. If you remember in Commandment 1, I am the Lord your God. God, who God is, what God has done for us. I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who saved you. Therefore, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the grand positive is that God is saying, you don't need any other gods. I found you. I loved you. I saved you. The grand positive is that your task is to stay close to me the one who brought you out of captivity. I have more than enough love, more than enough care to provide for you. That's a little different way of looking at that first commandment. It's not a no, but a yes. I am the one. I am more than enough. You are beloved to me. Stay close to me. It's an invitation because no other gods are needed. God does not want any rivals in our lives that compete for our worship. God asks us to stay close in God, to God and worship God alone in commandment one. Another piece of art, some of you may recognize this from Rembrandt. He's more famous of an artist, but it's somber. It is Moses holding up those, and maybe that's how we traditionally have thought about the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you, But sometimes I treat the Ten Commandments like a report card, right? Somebody holding it up and saying, look what you did. I go down them. I mentally score myself on a pass or fail grade. C1, commandment one, have no other gods before me. Pass. Okay, C2, make no idols. Do not bow down to them. Pass. I announce I don't have any idols. I got this one down. Next commandment. And then someone explains to me that C1 and C2 are more like God saying, do not have rivals for your attention, your affection. Put me first. Worship only me. And then I have to think about it again. Rivals for my attention? Honestly, that might be a fail for me if it's only pass-fail, which I don't think it is. Maybe you're like me. I have so many things that grab my attention before God does. They jostle each other. I have this image of like soccer players in front of the goal box, jostling each other, trying to crowd God out of the way, score my worship goal, get my attention. 
Does that ever happen to you? Maybe we need to look at the commandments more closely, and at all of them, really. Are they nothing more than a report card for a pass-fail class? And if I do pass, if I never murder anyone or steal or covet their stuff, how does that show I love God again? Hmm. They don't make a lot of sense to us all the time. We don't quite get the point without looking further. God asks us to express our love concretely in obedience to God, in holy living through the Ten Commandments. Another one of my mentors from Fuller Seminary, Kara Powell, says, because of God's grace, we live our lives as thank you notes back to God. But we're not very good at it, even after lots of practice. I remember a time in fourth grade when my very strong-willed daughter, thankfully she's strong-willed, she refused, her name's Carlina, she refused to clean her room for a week. She was really going to test what happened. But she did want to go to the school fun fair on Saturday, and so I said, we'll be happy to take you to your fun activities when your room is clean. And at that point, she called me an idiot. Ooh, Right? She got to spend some quality alone time that weekend on that day and clean her room and write me a letter of an apology. So, but you know, she was much happier when we held the boundary and she cleaned her room. And I actually found her letter to me when we moved. I'm going to show it to you because it's so great. Here's what she wrote in her best fourth grade cursive, an apology for calling me an idiot. I know you're not an idiot because you love us, you help me with my homework, you went to school, you're a good pastor, and you can run a family. And then that was not appropriate because you are a mom, it's a bad word, it broke all the 12 commandments, or at least one. It is not true, it's not the right thing to do. I love it that a pastor's kid knows all about the 12 commandments. That's really helpful, priceless. But it is a pretty good attempt to repair our relationship. She states who she is, who I am, what the issue is at stake. She names it. She apologizes it. We could learn something from a child about prayer. But the Ten Commandments are actually about that, getting to know one another, living in relationship, recognizing who God is and who we are living in relationship with God and with each other, and in relationship with our stuff. Because God has gifted us greatly, if we look at it, God has indeed blessed us with good things, with life. For many of us, we have enough money to at least live, to live comfortably for many of us. What about God's other gifts? Our jobs, they're good. Our children, good. Our relationships, hopefully good. But when they begin to grab our full attention, well, God's good gifts sometimes threaten to replace God as the focus of our attention to rival God. Advertisers do this on purpose. They play mind games about what we need in order to live or to live more comfortably, what we need to give to prove our love to others. We'll see this as the Christmas ads begin any moment now, right? Ads create dissatisfaction and desire, and we respond to commercial images and words, trained like Pavlov's dogs when we ring a bell. Ding! 
We crave more good gifts. Ding, we work to buy more. Ding, we hold tighter and tighter to what we have. Ding, we become fascinated with what's new. Ding, we crave more. Ding, we tightly grip the good gifts God has given. Social media is even worse than ads. You probably know by now that research shows that after you look at social media, at Facebook or Instagram or whatever you look at, you feel worse than when you began. From looking at other people's carefully cultivated lives, others' apparent good lives can breed discontent in us and even covetousness. Chris Hedges wrote a book of stories about our struggle with the Ten Commandments called Losing Moses on the Freeway. Chris is a seminarian who turned into a war correspondent and has been in tricky situations all over the world. So I found this to be a fascinating look at what the Ten Commandments can do. He talks about consumerism as false covenants. They surround us. They offer us a sense of security, and they offer shortcuts to us. That makes sense. Shortcuts so that we think we won't have to endure the pain and suffering of human existence. Ads tell us the things we want to hear and believe. They appear, appear to make us the center of the universe and perhaps rivals to God. When God's good gifts become rivals for our attention, Without realizing it, we may begin to worship the good gifts. Do we really worship them more than God? Well, I think at times we do. We can see what really matters to us by looking at our calendars, at our checkbooks, perhaps even our Amazon account or whatever your favorite website is. How do we live in relation with God's good gift of time? How do we spend it? How do we live in relation with God's good gift of money? A calendar and spending review will tell us what has the greatest hold on our attention. Where do we spend the bulk of our time? What might begin to rival God? For me and my family, maybe it was kids' sports. For you, it could have been travel. For someone else, that souped-up car. For her, career advancement. Someone else, the latest iPhone or degree or fill in the blank. What rivals God for our attention? What demands our immediate attention? Where do our minds go when nothing is immediately in front of us? We're inundated with glittering images that make false covenants, unkeepable promises to us. Just watch as we head towards Christmas. What are they selling? What are they promoting? They distract us from the one God who does keep God's promises. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Above all, I hope that that has been clear in the journey that we have gone along with the Israelites. We've seen that God hears their cry. God makes promises. God rescues, delivers. God leads. God speaks is what we're realizing today. Hedges asserts that the commandments serve as a check on the deluge of commercialism. They call us towards mutual respect and mutual self-sacrifice. 
They bring us back, even as we stray, as we all do, back toward the right path. They are our protection against the siren calls of glory, wealth, and power that will ultimately dash us against the rocks. I find that fascinating. The Ten Commandments remind us that God doesn't intend for our activities or our possessions to hold the central place in our hearts and our lives. That's where God belongs. God invites us to worship God, the one true God, who was revealed to Moses in the burning bushes, I am Yahweh, the God who is and is enough. That's the grand positive that our God is and is more than enough. More patient, more powerful, more loving, more forgiving than any rival. That's what God is like. And this God invites us to stay close to God, invites us to see how God will work on our behalf at any given moment. So how do we push back against rivals, against worshiping our activities or our stuff instead of God? It can be really particular. It can be really one moment at a time as we think about ways that because of God's grace, we can live our lives as thank you notes back to God in this next moment in this next day. One of the ways is we give. We give to others in gratitude. Before they enter the promised land, Moses charges the Israelites to choose how they will live. And he offers them to choose either blessings or curses, if you want to keep reading in Deuteronomy. Blessings come from keeping God right at the center of their love and then spreading that love to others. And he particularly, he names the widows and the orphans, the strangers and the aliens, the, our families and our neighbors. Moses reminds them and us how we need to give to others, to give to God freely for them, but also for ourselves. Hedges writes, we do the best we can, not for ourselves, the commandments teach us, but for those around us, because life comes from giving life to others. And when we give freely, it opens our hands and opens our hearts to share our gifts as stewards of God's grace. Giving and serving can also open our mouths so that we speak God's words to others and can give God glory. What might you do in a small way to give thanks? I read an author of The Broken Way, Anne Voskamp. She writes about one of her big birthdays where her family had a fantastic celebration in their, small farming, in their small town, their farming community. And this is what they did. They loaded coins into other people's parking meters. They donated new basketballs to the Boys and Girls Club. They bought dinner for a family at the diner. They went to the grocery store and surprised folks in the checkout line by covering their groceries. They set boxes of donuts on the cop cars to say thank you. And they even ran up and down the aisles of the dollar store, taping dollar bills in random places in the candy aisle for kids to find. That's pretty cool. They said thank you all day, and they practiced freedom from the rival of money, one joyful dollar at a time. They said it was the best celebration they'd ever had as a family, full of laughter and joy and racing around in freedom. That's one idea. What might you do 
I'm going to encourage you to do what I call turning and buzzing. That's talking to someone near you. And if you're sitting not near someone, feel free to get up and move so that you can talk to someone. Uh, what's one way that you can give this week in a small or big way to show love and to loosen the grip of fear of money has on us, fear of scarcity? So let's talk with, with others near us. What's one way that you can show love tangibly this week? One way you can give. Well, perhaps you met someone new or started a new conversation that you wouldn't have had with someone else. Ways that you can give, ways that you can be creative. I heard people talk about staying in touch with other family members, with other people. Um, I'd love to hear some of the ideas you came up with if you were doing that, and I heard the buzz together of conversations. So thank you for doing that, and thanks for patience for those who, for whom that doesn't come naturally. Having right relationships begins with obeying command one. You shall have no other gods before me. God invites us. Worship me, the God who is. God invites us. The God who is real. The God who is more than enough. This God that we meet in the Bible, this God, the God of the universe, is crazy about us, the Bible tells us. This God loves us with a great big no-matter-what love that's shown in Jesus Christ. This God invites us not only to care about God, but to care about others and to stay close to this God. We can practice loving the one who gives more than loving what God gives us. And that may be a good practice for us to work on now as we enter into the holidays. We can practice loving the one who invites us to come one moment at a time. Allow no rivals, stay close to God. You shall have no other gods before me. And trusting in this God's love for us, we can go back to the Ten Commandments and can use God's words as a way to freely express our love to God and our love for God. In that way, our obedience becomes a grateful response to God. Because of God's grace, we live our lives as thank you notes back to God. And let us close with our breath prayer that we've been praying together as a church this season. Let's say the words together that are on the screen. And so let's go ahead and pray this together. Lead us, O oh God. Guide us. Amen.